It's the Hilarious World of Depression, very special live edition. Well, mostly live. I'm John Moe in a studio, but playing some highlights of our recent live show, A Hilarious Night of Depression, which happened recently in Minneapolis at the Dakota Jazz Club. We were joined by Janie Winterbauer and the Hilarious World of Depression Orchestra, and by Mike Brown. You remember Mike from episode 14 of season two? Sure you do. He's a stand-up comedian and writer from New York. I should do jokes about depression, so here we go. Um, John, this is the only place I can do these jokes about depression. Um, hi, other side of the room, how you doing? We're good, we're good over here? We're good, hi, okay, okay. Okay, got a brown person. Got a white woman waving to me up there. This is like Get Out Part Two, whatever. Um, I know I got five. I don't know what's uh, whatever, man. Um, it's hard talking about depression just in general, especially as like a black comedian. Like, forget about being on stage. Just like with my friends, it is really hard to talk about depression because like you talk about depression, they don't know what's going on. Like they've never heard the word before, depression. You know, it's like, hey man, I'm depressed, and they're like, what? You depressed? Like what? Like, like you sad and shit? Like. You're like, you listen to Celine Dion or something, man? What's... Like on a scale of one to Drake, how much do you cry? Talk to me, man, how much? So what I did, you know, I went to see a mental health specialist, because I was like, I need to know what's going on. So I tell him, I'm like, hey doc, uh, what's going on? Thanks for meeting with me. Um, you know, I, I think I'm depressed, you know, my money's not right, I can't pay my Wi-Fi, I don't know what's going on in the world, starhiphop.com right now. Um, can you just tell me that I'm depressed? Can you just diagnose me with depression? I know we don't talk about it in the community too much, can you just tell me that I'm depressed? And he looked at me and he said, what? <laughs> No, you're not depressed, you're black. <laughs> no, the medical term for what you have is tripping. You're just tripping right now, that's all. You're just tripping. Pour some champagne on it, you'll feel better. And you know what? I do, I do. I pour some champagne on people and I feel great. All right, um, that usually works better in black rooms when we don't talk about <laughs> that white guilt just sucked up all the love. They were like, oh no, is that what they do? I know, it's stupid. Um, I know I have five minutes, I'm sorry, John, I'm so sorry. You should have never put me on this plane, okay? Um, just wanna make sure this is good for my Instagram, thank you. Um, before we start the chat, are there any questions? I know you guys, I don't know if you guys have black people in your social lives. Is there any question that you wanna ask me? Was I born black? Yes, I was. Um, Great question, great question, great question. A lot of people were scared to ask, was I born that way? Well, you know what? Um, I was, I'm the oldest of six, and which is, which is funny, I'm the only of the six that was born black. The rest of my siblings had to come out to my parents, and they, I mean, it was surprising. It was really surprising, you know? They sat them down, was like, hey, mom, dad, I just want you to know, no matter what happens, I'm still your child. Um, any other questions? Any other questions? Yes. 
Great question. What is the, com the, the connection between comedians and depression? I think with comedians, we all want to share our perspective and we go on stage because we're like, fuck, we have this perspective that nobody else has, you know? And that can make you feel really isolated, like, man, I'm the only one who feels this way. So you start writing these jokes to try to make people understand what you see. And when you laugh, you basically say, oh, I see that perspective and I never thought about that before. And that gives us some type of like solace. We're like, oh, this feels good that someone actually agrees with me at that time. But then you also become a comedian to a point where like you can make people laugh and you're also like, I can't believe people are paying me to do this. That's where I'm at right now. So, um, which is great. Any other questions before I bring John back here to ask him if he has any questions for me? Yes, miss. The, the question is, how do I talk to young people? How do I get in the streets? That's what you want to know? That's what you wanted. That, that's, that's the way I would say it. You NPR'd it. Like, if I was going to end on NPR, what you said, like, how do you get to the streets, though? And you were like, how do you connect with young people who are trying? Okay. Um, yeah, speak both, speak, speak both languages. Um, this is how I connect with, uh, with young people. I think, uh, and I'm speaking at a high school soon. If anyone wants me to speak at a school, please just book me. If anyone wants to also sponsor a black man, please <laughs> talk to me after the show, you know. Um, but the way I can speak to young people is just that I think that for me growing up in a different time, because I didn't like have uh, social media as much, and I, and I think social media is a problem, is that I think the human condition is that everybody wants to connect with someone else. And I think what happened with social media is that we're all connected, but we're not having real connections. So if you feel, if you feel alone and you see someone doing something so great, you're like, oh wow, this person's doing something great, why can't I? Until so there's no real connection. And so instead of feeling that you are you feel like you're following somebody, but you're not on that person's path. You know what I mean? It's one thing to follow if you're like on a line and you're following, you're going to the same destination. There's a different thing of following somebody and just seeing their journey, but you're staying at the same place. So I think for me, when I talk to young people, I'm just like, hey, you can go on your own journey. You can follow somebody. You can go on your own destination and that's fine. And I think now it's about uh, being unique and understanding it's okay to be unique. It's okay to be different. You know, some people want to be a part of a group because they're like, oh, I'm different and I'm different so I belong in this group. It's okay to just be different and belong to you. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah, that's, that's oh, th oh, what? What? Oh, thank you, thank you. Oh my God, John, look at John. John, please clap it up for my, for my depression and white liaison, John Moe, everybody. <laughs> Mike please Brown, clap everybody. it up for him, please. Right here? See, okay, cool, 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 cool. i bring it down. Move that, all right. Stand up. Okay, cool. We have music stands. These are things yeah. that never happen okay, in studios. Cool. Yeah. Well, Mike, I you were on episode 14 of our show and yeah, probably we just, one of the greatest episodes. Probably. We just wrapped episode 20 and and closed out our season. What have the last 6 weeks been like for you since that show came out because you do comedy podcasts all the time. You're yeah. a public figure. What's been the reaction since you were on our show? Well, you know what? Uh, what was crazy? I have a friend, and when I say friend, it's like a friend of a friend. You know what I mean? Like somebody that you meet through somebody else. Maybe I should say a friend of a friend of a friend. You know what I mean? Um, someone who I would be like, oh, that's my cousin, but they're not really my... Anyway, so I got a postcard in the mail. Not even a postcard, like a real card. Like a greeting card. A greeting card 
from this friend who only texts me for my birthday or for like New Year's, like mass text type stuff. And he was like, hey, I listened to the podcast. I really appreciate you opening up, opening up. I've had so many bouts with depression myself. And if you want to talk, I would love to listen. Uh, if I can talk to you, that'd be great. But I think what you're doing is is, is been like life changing for me. And um, it was it's just like insane. I mean, and that's just with somebody I know. With people I don't know, I get uh, I get emails all the time. I get uh, Twitter messages, Instagram posts, and everything. So it's it's just it's been really good. But you've been talking. I mean, I found you online uh, in some clips of you talking about this very openly. And yeah. comedians do talk about depression, but often it's kind of obliquely or kind of in passing. And you've always kind of handled it head on. I wonder what went into the decision to do that. Ooh, great question, John. Um, you know what? Uh, I, I, talk, I talked about it on the podcast. I know some people here haven't listened to the podcast, all five of you who haven't. I know everybody else has. <laughs> but... Um, but um, I had, if, for those who don't know, just so everybody's on the same page, I had checked myself into a mental hospital one time because I was just like totally done. And I have a brother who has a border personality disorder. And he checked himself into a hospital uh, the second time. The first time it was a suicide attempt. He tried to take pills and he didn't die from it. And I don't know how the fuck it didn't happen, but he didn't die from it. So when he checked himself into a hospital and I was feeling down, I was like, I'm feeling down. I haven't felt like this in a while. So let me check myself in. And um. After coming out of the hospital, I think the biggest stigma for me was how people were going to treat me after and thinking that I would be a different person and being scared of what that person would be. And what I realized is that coming out of the hospital, I was a different person as before the hospital, I was scared to deal with mental health. And after the hospital, I was like, no, this is how I'm dealing with it. Now I'm treating it. Now I'm coping with it. And so uh, with comedy, it's like, oh, I have nothing to be afraid of. You know, it's all perspective. I don't have anything to be afraid of. Like, I can, I can talk to you guys. I know, like, we all have, like, our secrets that hold us down or, like, mental health things. But for me, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm already talking to strangers every fucking day. Like, <laughs> well, and, and on the podcast, you talked about how your mom had said... <laughs> Podcast listeners, he's making a funny face. <laughs> there, uh, yeah, so. On the episode, you talked about how your mom had said, don't get in anybody else's business, keep your business to yourself. Yeah. There was a lot of the word business and the separation of business. Well, and every, every African-American is a CEO and entrepreneur, so we're very focused on our business. Um, <laughs> but how did your mom feel about you being this open and you know on our show and on other shows and and just being so you know laying yourself so bare to this stuff oh she hated it she hates that i talk about it but it wasn't until uh last week uh i was invited to speak at a high school later on this month and i told her i was like hey i'm speaking at a high school and i'm speaking to these 11th and 12th graders just about mental health and i'm going to the inner cities and this is a thing that i'm doing that i never thought i would be doing i thought i would just be doing stand up and writing for tv and stuff and um she's like oh that's great and i'm like yeah well you see what happens when you start sharing some of your business because you don't know Who's going to be affected by it? Who's going to be inspired by it? You know, like even tonight, like we're just having this conversation and it's like, it's, it's fun for me. It might be a lot of pressure for him for the two year anniversary. And so uh, it's all right, John. All so, right. but 
I don't know what's gonna happen from here. So me talking now, it's just like, oh, I'm just being my truest self. And if this inspires you, then maybe you can do something and you know help affect and change somebody else's life for the better. So. Yeah. And the the high school just to draw it all back to our show was the high school uh, oh. gig from somebody who'd heard our show. Yes, actually, uh, it was a subscriber to the hilarious world of fashion. Ah, there we go. I mean, cla- I mean, I mean, if John makes it possible. You know, that, that's why his name is John Moe, okay? In the streets, we call him John Moe, okay? Right. We, it's just John M-O apostrophe. Apostrophe. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's John Moe. Yeah, Okay, yeah. because... You might want success. I don't want success. I want John Mo success. Yes. You understand? It's I want some Mo. That, that's what, so hashtag want some Mo. And that's how you can get in touch with John Mo and the hilarious world of depression. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want some Mo. Okay? That's right. That's what we're doing. I'm selling t-shirts in the back if my, anybody my, wants. My full last name is John Motivated to Talk to People About Depression. Yeah. Which was too long for Twitter. Abbreviated to John. Yeah, John. Mike Brown, everybody. That's Mike Brown on stage at the Dakota with the audience eating out of his hand, making me sound much cooler than I ever have been or will be. We also played a couple games that night, tests of skill and knowledge and quick thinking, including Emo, Mo, or Mo. Guitarist Jeremy Ilvesaker from the band joined Mike Brown for this one. I give them a quote. They have to say if it's lyrics from an early 2000s emo band, from Moe of The Simpsons, or from me, John Moe, from season two of this podcast. Emo, Moe, or Moe. Mike Brown, we'll start with you. Yeah. The quote is, I'm just going to die lonely and ugly and dead. Emo, Moe from The Simpsons, or me. Uh, Mo from The Simpsons. It is Mo from The Simpsons. That was easy. That was too easy. Jeremy, stop burning bridges and drive off of them. That sounds emo to me. It is Fallout Boy. It's emo. Congratulations. Uh, Mike Brown, have another drink and drive yourself home. I hope there's ice on all the roads. Is that something I would say? I hope not. <laughs> I'm going to go with Simpsons, Mo. The band is brand new. The song is 70 times Whoa. 7. It was emo. Hmm. I'm not going to guess anything emo. I don't know if you've noticed. I don't <laughs> so. Jeremy, as a spokesperson for white people, I invite everyone to come into the tent and be screwed up. That's you. That's, that was yeah. me, Janelle James, episode 13. <laughs> yeah. I've got that one. Mike Brown, you go through life, you try to be nice to people, you struggle to resist the urge to punch them in the face. You. That was Moses, like from The Simpsons. Dang it. When I said you, I meant like you if you were cartoon okay. drawn by Matt. Yeah. yeah. No. No, no. That was a hell no. That was a hell no. <laughs> I lose points. Jeremy, actually. the line is. Could you tell me the next time that you're choking? Because I'll rush right over to shove some dirt right down your throat. Huh. I don't know, man. Mo Sislak. The band is Saves the Day. Wow. The song My song. Sweet Fracture. I knew that. So. <laughs> Mike Brown, here's your chance to maybe gain some points. <laughs> the hilarious world of depression is supported by health partners and by makeitokay.org. <laughs> 
Oh my God. Um, I know these emo bands love sponsorships. Um, <laughs> Jesus. And the Simpsons have been going crazy since they've hit 30, 30 episodes, the 30, 30 years of episodes. Um, I'm going to go with it's you. It is me. Good job. Oh. Oh. That's a line that I said on every single show, usually twice. Jeremy, the line is, the more I try, the more I lose. Is that you? The band is A Static Lullaby. That's an emo song. Mike Brown, there was absolute certainty we would die in a nuclear blast. You just hoped it would be quick, and that's all the hope you had. I want to say it was you. I want to. But Mo from The Simpsons. Right? We think so. Episode two with Margaret Cho. That was John Moe. I was going through a Look rough time. Look what you did! I'm joking. <laughs> Jeremy, I'm making notes for a book. It's to be a chronicle of our adventures on the island. Oh, God. I don't know. You? That was actually the professor from Gilligan's Island. It was a trick question. Okay. <laughs> Oh, pretty good. It's pretty oh, good. Man. Mike Brown. Uh, you don't score. He gets zero for that one. Yeah. Mike Brown. I've done stuff I ain't proud of, and the stuff I am proud of is disgusting. John Moe. Moe from The Simpsons. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought. <laughs> just from knowing John, I was you like, were there's some mad. shit in the closet. I he was really just like, mad at me, I think, for that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We all have regrets. Okay. Jeremy. We might have fears that our failures are devastating and permanent while our successes are a fluke. That's catchy. That's a song. That's an emo band. That was me from John Green, <laughs> episode four. Oh, my All God. All right. Oh, man. One more question for each of you. <laughs> Scores are low, John. Scores are low. <laughs> oh, man. Mike Brown. Uh-huh. I held my tongue as she told me, son, fear is the heart of love, so I never went back. That's some white people music. I'm going to go with emo. <laughs> Death Cab for cuties. I'll there follow we go. you into the <laughs> Thank you, bass guitar. Jeremy, it's nice to be with someone who can't understand the horrible things I say. That's you. That's Moses like from The Simpsons talking to a baby. Dang it. Wow. Producer Chrissy Pease, what do our totals look like? Jeremy has two. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like questions there were. There were more than that. <laughs> Mike had three. Mike Brown. <laughs> Can you bring those cups over here if you could? Oh, they're right over here. They're right, they're right there, brother. Mike's teammate. Come on up and get your cup. And for the losing side, because we don't like anyone to be sad if we can avoid it, also a cup. You win a cup as well. Big prizes given away that night were Hilarious World of Depression mugs, which are available at our website, hilariousworld.org. This was a season-ending event, so I also did a quick rundown on what I've learned doing the show, reporting my findings, as it were. 
I did so with the help of a PowerPoint deck full of pictures of animals wearing people clothes. So you might just want to Google image search that up as you listen, or you might just want to do that anyway because it's funny. The Hilarious World of Depression is an ongoing learning experience. I would be remiss as a host if I didn't share my learning with you. I am from public broadcasting after all, so it's important that you share intelligent information before you uh, ask people for money. It's part of the horrifying beauty of nature. So a list of things I learned that you might find useful from this season. Before we get into them, some honorable mentions from our guests. If you're a child in a brownie commercial, you are expected to swallow the brownie, get none on your teeth, and then immediately speak. If you have a panic attack in LeBron James's trailer, he will take care of you. We learned that from Neil Brennan. If you have an eating disorder while starring in a 90s sitcom, nobody will take care of you. We learned that from Margaret Cho. And uh, if you have to write a novel, don't go off your meds. We learned that from John Green. Now, I learned a lot of lessons, a lot about mental illness, but I learned a lot about learning about mental illness too. So here are my top 10 lessons that I learned this season because 10 is a lot and we've been in a jazz club talking depression for a while. I've made slides of animals wearing clothes to amuse you while I talk about these important things. <laughs> Number one, people want to talk. <laughs> we offer nothing for people to appear on our show. We don't pay. A lot of guests are already more famous than we can make them. They just want to talk. Um, this is a really handy thing to remember as you go out into the world, talking to people about depression, talking to people about mental illness. They are eager to do so. Um, there's no way that we could have filled a 20-episode season if they weren't. The thing is, society has told them for a long time not to. They want to do it anyway. Number two, you don't need notes. I've been in broadcasting for many, many years, and I was taught to prepare lots of notes, lots of questions, do, uh, you know, do this whole plan for how the conversation is going to go. And uh, with this show, I decided to find out what would happen if I didn't do any of that. So I would, every interview that you've heard on the hilarious world of depression, I go in there with no paper in front of me. There's some things I might want to find out, but mostly I just... Uh, want to see how the conversation goes. I want to see where it goes. I want to listen to the person. This is also useful in talking about mental illness with people that you meet. If you go into it with a plan for how the conversation's going to go, you will either get that conversation, which might not be the one that that person needs to have, or you will get a broken conversation, which is no use to anybody. You don't need notes. Number three, talk like a three-year-old. There's a picture of a horse wearing a suit. Um, one, of my, uh, one of my heroes in radio uh, was a man named David Kandow, who recently passed away. And um, David was a veteran CBC broadcaster from Canada. And he, uh, he said that the greatest interviewers in the world are three-year-olds. And we can all aspire to be as good as a three-year-old at interviewing. Because if they don't understand something, what do they say? Why? And if the answer isn't good enough, what do they ask? Why? 
and they will drive you insane until you get broken down to the root components of your rhetorical existence. And then they've won. And they're genuinely curious. Every interview I do, um, and I've learned through the hilarious world of depression, and I, I think, too, this might work in, in, for anybody uh, if they don't get punched for asking why all those times, is you just listen to what someone says, you get to the part that you don't understand, and you say, wait, what do you mean by that? And that comes from not having notes, and that comes from thinking like a three-year-old. Number four, everyone's a fraud. <laughs> You're not supposed to be broken, but you're broken, but you're not supposed to be. And that's what living with depression feels like. You, you, you know that it feels wrong, uh, and you know that it's not supposed to be this way, but you can't really help it. And so then you feel bad about yourself. Uh, you feel like a pariah, and you feel like you need to keep it a secret. What I've learned is just about every person I've talked to with mental illness and just about every person I've talked to without any noticeable mental illness has some sort of feeling inside them that they have a secret that they just hope nobody else figures out. Everybody's going through life just acting to some extent and hoping not to get busted. But the good news is that they haven't caught you yet, so you're really good at hiding, so maybe don't worry about it. Number five, you've been ripped off. I talk to people with depression. Don't say, oh, about a raccoon. They're horrible, horrible animals. <laughs> um, depression is not a moral failing. It's a mental illness. Um, you didn't misplace your car. Someone hot-wired it and drove off with it. The car is your mental health. Um, depression can steal your ability to feel good things. Um, it can make you feel like you're in an even more vulnerable position, more likely to be exposed. You think that you've been careless. You think that you've done something wrong. You think that you weren't strong enough, and if you tried harder, you could be stronger. But the fact is, somebody messed with you. Might be your mind, might be chemistry, might be trauma, but it's not your fault. You've been ripped off. Um, and the thief still has the keys to your house a lot of the time. The thief comes in while you're home and takes your stuff, and you need to say, hey, that's my Alexa speaker. You can't have that. That's my toaster. You don't get to have it. It's tough, though, but it's not your fault. Number six, there's no achieving your way out of this. Um, the first conversation I had for this show is for our first episode with Peter Sagal, host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, who has had an incredible career of plays being produced and books being written and PBS series and of course Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me and, and he went to Yale and he always said that I thought that if I could just keep achieving things then I couldn't possibly be depressed because someone who achieves all those things wouldn't be depressed therefore if I achieve them it will go away and it doesn't work like that. Uh, Neil Brennan who we talked to for this season um, said this about the biggest stars in Hollywood. He said, Oscar winner actors and actresses, people you know, people who are household names, have told him, I achieved all this and it didn't do anything. I, I didn't, uh, I still feel terrible. 
and uh, they need to go get that taken care of. You can't achieve your way out of it. Number seven, it's easier to fight stigma when you have privilege. The extent to which you can act against stigma is proportionate to how much privilege you have. If you are white, if you are straight, you can fall back on things. You can fall back on a society that will protect you. Uh, I talked with Reggie Osei this season, uh, who is unfortunately the late Reggie Osei. He passed away after I interviewed him. He said that he has, had resisted going to a psychiatrist, to a therapist for a long time, because he didn't want the admission that he had vulnerability. He couldn't afford it. Not in the world he's living in, not as a, a black man in America. Margaret Cho talked about how, uh, in this season, talked about how as a child of Korean immigrants, there was an enforcement of the idea of strength and poise that you needed to make it in America. It was required. And if you didn't have that, you needed to act like you had it. Um, I think it's no coincidence that a lot of the uh, comedians and musicians that you run into out in the world who have gotten opportunities are white men. Um, because they have been in positions where they can open their heart. They can joke about themselves. They can talk about their depression. They can lay all their thoughts bare in music or comedy because society will protect them. I think it's really important when you talk about uh, stigma is to, is to talk about privilege at the same time um, and think about how privilege affects that conversation. Number eight, we're dumb about terms. Um, so often you hear people talk about, uh, use words that they don't really mean. They're trying to hyperbolize certain conditions that you have. Um, some of you might say, oh, I'm totally OCD about my pencils. But they're not OCD. They just like their pencils a certain way. They're merely tidy. Um, someone is not schizophrenic for changing their mind. Someone is not doesn't have PTSD because they had a bad day, they simply had a bad day. And depression, being depressed, doesn't mean you're mopey and sullen. That's a mood. That's not an illness. People co-opt these terms and uh, lessen the power of them and lessen the importance of them, uh, and they rob those from people with those mental illnesses. And I think they should cut it out. Number nine, there is no magic cure. Everybody I talked to has tried something else. Um, Neil Brennan talked about Zoloft, ketamine, uh, microdosing, uh, lifesavers. Those didn't work at all. <laughs> he finally arrived back at Zoloft. Margaret Cho works out like crazy, and that works for her. Uh, I talked with people who've gone to Al-Anon, and that's worked for them. People who've tried all sorts of meds and found some that worked. People who've tried meds and haven't found any that worked. Everybody has a different way of going about it. There's no magical cure. I wish there was. We'd all take it. And finally, there is no ending. Um, <laughs> we're, we're a narrative-driven culture. We're a story-driven culture. And we like to think that a person exists and then runs into a problem and then has a struggle and then finally overcomes the problem and then the credits roll. Because movies are all built like that. Every single movie coming out of Hollywood 
follows that formula. And we watch a lot of movies and TV shows, and so we expect a happy ending, or we expect resolution, at least. And it doesn't happen. Depression, any kind of mental illness, is a really badly written story. It just meanders, and it goes away, and characters come and go, because it's just not like the movies. And I think that uh, the people I've talked to, and I've talked with a whole lot of people who accept that they're just on a journey and there is no tidy plot, uh, tend to do a little bit better. Um, I don't know how stories will end. Um, I fear for the lives of some of the people that I've talked to. Um, but I have a lot of hope because those conversations are taking place. Um, on a serious note, we, we have had so much success with this show, so much more than I ever expected. Um, and what we're doing, I don't think, I think it's wonderful. It's not unique. Like, we didn't come up with this crazy way of doing interviews that blows everybody's minds. I'm just a dude having conversations. I have no medical training. I have, you know, I'm kind of dumb. But I talk to people, and they're eager to talk. And then those conversations happen. And I think the success of our show, uh, which is supported by all of you, and thank you very much, is more than anything an indication that people are starving for that conversation. And uh, we, we are providing it. Um, and people are providing it back to us uh, very, very strongly uh, on an ongoing basis. And, and thank you all for that. I think we have time for one more game here. A game called Pokemon Antidepressant or Food at the Minnesota State Fair. This is Mike playing solo, hoping to win a Hilarious World coffee mug for a lucky audience member. All right, Mike. Pokemon, antidepressant, or Minnesota State Fair food. Are you ready? Yep. All Welcome right. from The Simpsons. Here we go. Cyndaquil. Antidepressant. That's a Pokemon. Seroquel. Antidepressant. Antidepressant is correct. Citalopram. Ah, da, da. Hey, 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 hey. Let this black man fail by himself, people. <laughs> Don't you dare. I'm trying to help him out at all. Citalopram. Emo band. Citalopram. Wait, wait. It's antidepressant Pokemon. Or That's a Minnesota food. That is an antidepressant. Okay, okay. Australian potatoes. It it's because I want to say Minnesota food, but since it says Australian in it, I don't want to say that it is because I feel like it's like, come on, Mike. But I heard a yes in the back. So I'm going to go with Minnesota food. Of course it's a Minnesota State Fair food. Pokemon, antidepressant, or Minnesota State Fair food. Vivactyl. That's an antidepressant. It is. Bomb. Aerodactyl. That's like a pterodactyl Pokemon. Pokemon. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, let's go, let's go. Bowl of dough. <laughs> That's some crazy Minnesota shit. Yeah. That is state fair food. Also possibly an antidepressant, though not approved by the FDA. Shuckle. What would you say? Shuckle. What you call me? Shuckle. I'm gonna go with a Pokemon. Pokemon. Luvox. 
that's actually my cousin. My cousin Lubox, he's uh, he lives in the Bronx. Um, but I'm gonna say it's Minnesota something. That's an antidepressant. Vulpix. That's a Pokemon. I know that's a Pokemon that's with a the Pokemon. tails. That's a Pokemon with the tails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Skonut. A Skonut? That sounds like Minnesota wanted to make a cronut and didn't know how. So I'm gonna say that's a Minnesota food. That's a Minnesota State Fair food. Crobat. What'd you say? Crobat. A crowbat? That sounds like a crow and a bat Pokemon. Pokemon is right. Okay, okay. Tachos. Once again, it seems like Minnesota, they hear about popular foods and they're like, oh, y'all got nachos and tacos? Fuck that, we got rachos, whatever it's called. I'm gonna say Minnesota State Fair Food. Combination of nachos and tater tots, yes. <laughs> what are you white people doing out here? I don't... Fluoxetine. Uh, antidepressant. Yes, doxapin. Antidepressant. Nuzleaf. That sounds like a Minnesotan antidepressant. Like, you only get that here. But I'm gonna go with Pokemon. Pokemon is correct. Pizzerito. <laughs> y'all, listen, in Minnesota, if y'all just got peop- other people here, y'all get better food. This sounds like Minnesota State Fair, by the way. That is correct. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Truffle Trotter. <laughs> Truffle Trotter. I don't know what a trotter is. I feel like it's just... My doctor has recommended 80 milligrams of truffle trotter. I'm still going to say a Minnesota food for some reason. I'm still going to... It is a Minnesota state fair food. <laughs> oh my God, this is the whitest thing I've ever done. Shroomish. Shroomish? Shroomish. A Pokemon. Correct. Golduck. What's it? Golduck. Pokemon? Cherry bombs. Wait, is that right? Cherry yes. Cherry bombs. What did you say, Minnesota man? I had. I had great. Oh, he's drunk. I'm gonna go. As in, I had great success with a combination of Wellbutrin and cherry bombs. (laughs) Jesus. Minnesota food? It is a Minnesota food. Chrissy Pease, did Mike Brown win? Did he have enough to get to win for Chris? 25. That means Chris is a winner! We will get that delivered up to you, Chris, because I should not throw it. That's Mike Brown with me on stage at the Dakota in Minneapolis for our live show, A Hilarious Night of Depression. The Hilarious World of Depression is produced at American Public Media in St. Paul. Our producer is Chrissy Pease. Kate Moose is executive producer. Recording engineer was Veronica Rodriguez. Mixing by Johnny Vince Evans. Our web and social media titan is Christina Lopez. Our theme song, Pagliacci, is by Rhett Miller. If you need help, confidential help is available at the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Free, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one 800 273-8255. The Hilarious World of Depression is supported by health partners and makeitokay.org. Make It Okay is a campaign to start conversations and stop the stigma around mental illness. Makeitokay.org has information to check out for yourself or for someone else. Starting a conversation on a topic like this, it can be awkward. 
Make It Okay has tips on what to say, what not to say, stories of hope from people who've been there. You can take the pledge to Make It Okay at makeitokay.org. We're on the web, hilariousworld.org. You can hear past episodes and pick up some cool merch. We're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just look for us. You'll find us. You can write to us, thwod, T-H-W-O-D, at americanpublicmedia.org. Back soon with more miniature placebo episodes ahead of season three. I'm John Moe. Bye now. This great big smile is just for show. Sad clown, tell me something I don't know. Would you say I'm a sad clown? Tell me something I don't know.